Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. I'm Adam Listek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support the show, please tap the link in this episode's description if you're using the Anchor application, or visit anchor.fm bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. So sorry for the two-week break there. The holidays ended up being far busier than I expected. I did want to recap my favorite tools of 2018, though. There were so many that I tried, but there are a couple staples and a few that I ended up always coming back to or landing on. So if you've listened to a decent number of my past episodes, some of these will come as no surprise, but hopefully you find some that might be of use. I'll also include a number of new articles and links below that hopefully you can make use of as well. So jumping into it, my favorite tools of 2018. So coming in as number one, uh, and especially no surprise if you've listened to this uh, over time, is Notion. So what Notion is, it's by far my favorite tool. It's absolutely changed how I do documentation and note-taking, and a big new release is right around the corner with a much-anticipated web clipper. But I expect this to become an extremely powerful, more so than already is, tool in the upcoming year. It's incredibly flexible, allows you to organize your information in just about any way you see fit, and it also even has a built-in database engine as well. You can do simple but powerful organization of complex data. It's really worth checking out, especially if you have a lot of information to organize. So Notion is number one by far. Second to that is uh, Wave Accounting. So if you're a small business owner, Wave Accounting really is an, an amazing tool. Not only is it free uh, if you're not doing like uh, payroll, uh, but you can take credit card payments, do some complex accounting and invoicing. It's got an attractive and fairly ever-evolving tool. It's well worth looking into and getting set up. You certainly won't be sorry. I've used it for a number of years now, and it has made my life infinitely easier dealing with invoicing and just in general dealing with finances. So recently, I've been using a new um, static site-based generator. I've talked about it in the past couple months. It's called Hugo, and it's a Go-based tool. And what that means is that it compiles to a static binary, so you can kind of use it anywhere. But what this is, it's a static site generator. And although I didn't really start using it until the fourth quarter of this year, it has quickly become my go-to tool for creating websites. Granted, not every site can be done using this. And for those that require a more traditional CMS, WordPress is still my favorite. But if you want an extremely fast, easy to install, and relatively quick to set up site generator, Hugo really works wonders. And the development community is pretty active, and regular releases are, are put out all the time, so definitely check it out. It's pretty awesome. Next up, it's Cloudflare, and it's still my favorite online DNS provider, but it does so much more than that. With their free tier, it provides a ton of awesome tools such as basic uh, CDN or a content del delivery network, uh, DDoS protection, pretty much instant DNS updates, which really is one of my favorite features. 
Uh, and it's so much more in addition to that, uh, free SSL certificates. And so with the advent of Cloudflare workers though, you're now being able to run scripts at the edge with no cold start costs like you have with like AWS Lambda. And it's amazing speed has really revolutionized how I'm delivering content and functionality. So with the addition of uh, upcoming registrar services, which some folks have and some folks are all getting now, you can now purchase and add your domains directly to Cloudflare. And what they offer is that you're paying the lowest possible cost rather than any upcharge ones that traditional vendors ask for, like say Namecheap. Pretty cool. It's got a ton of features. Uh, absolutely love Cloudflare. Uh, well worth checking out. So DigitalOcean is also my favorite cloud VM provider. I know it's not as full featured as things such as Azure or uh, AWS, but they keep improving and they make it so simple and low cost for most developers to do what they need that it, it's, it's kind of a no brainer, uh, especially if you just want to toy around with a VM and see what you can do with it. And now that they have the addition of a managed uh, Kubernetes option, you have even more flexibility. And although I've just begun exploring that, the traditional standbys of being able to spin up a new VM in seconds, have it all just work is pretty awesome. They've got these um, managed network firewalls now and uh, VM network account isolation as being added. So you have additional protections that before weren't there. And the reasonable cost and speed to deploy is, is pretty hard to beat. And it just makes life easier, especially if you need to quickly spin up and down a number of resources. So Prometheus.io, uh, or I should just say Prometheus and Grafana are two tools I've talked about over time. Uh, what Prometheus is, it's a data collection uh, tool or time series database. And Grafana is for visualization of that data. It's a very potent and good combo. So Prometheus is pretty quick and easy to set up. Again, a Go-based tool. And allows you to collect a ton of stats on your systems with a pretty minimum amount of work. Once you add Grafana in front of it though and attach it you know, and point it towards the Prometheus database, you can create really awesome dashboards and alerting mechanisms to help you stay on top of your systems. Let's say uh, you know, your CPU usage is spiking. Uh, you're able to now kind of alert on that and see over time how this will work. And coming soon to Grafana, they're offering what they call Loki. And what this is, it'll add on log uh, tracking. So personally, I can move away from like Logly and keep it all in-house and in one interface, which would be really cool. For system configuration and automation, Ansible is another one of my favorites. I've used it for a long time now. And it really simplifies your configuration. Make sure you're applying the correct configuration every time. And it's a pretty simple setup within YAML and allows you to apply the same kind of config to many different machines at once. You can use Ansible Vault to encrypt your secrets. And you can create these roles and playbooks that can be a bit interchangeable. And you just the idea is they're inimpotent, which means you just run it against a machine and every time you should get the same result or it should change to make it what it's supposed to be. And so the idea is always that I'm creating this configuration, I'm making this change. It can be used to run one-off commands, of course, but that's the general idea for the configuration management and it works really well. And finally, 1Password is 
by far my favorite password management tool. It just works, and with the 1Password X extension for Chrome, it lets me use the tool without actually having to have it installed in the system. Prior to that, the browser, uh, I guess, extension that lets you actually fill in forms and that kind of stuff required the application to be installed. I didn't really like that. I really prefer that if I want to install, great, but I could either manage it through the web interface or I can manage it through the extension. And so now that they're doing that, it, it allows you just to use it through the extension and makes it a lot easier. It offers a standalone and a subscription service, which is pretty reasonably priced. And it even has a command line tool if you want to use it for servers as well. Granted, that one's not as baked yet, but it's getting there. It's pretty cool that they offer that. So that was the roundup of pretty much my favorite tools for 2018. Uh, and I'm assuming most of those will stay for 2019. There are a couple new tools coming up that I'm, I'm curious about and I've been watching. Uh, but by far, uh, if you use any of those or a number of those, it, it definitely will help your productivity. Uh, a lot of those make it a heck of a lot easier to do complex things without a ton of effort. I would love to know what everyone else's favorite tools are. So by all means, comment or... Uh, you know, send a reply, email, whatever, uh, tweet, that kind of thing, because I'd like to see what others are using, what other tools and uh, ways that, you know, you're saving time and effort that are out there. So moving on to a couple links and resources. Uh, some of these were ones I collected before the break, uh, and some I found, but a couple unique ones that I think are of use. So the first up is I've got one called Hookbin. Uh, hookbin.com and what it is it's a way to collect and inspect http requests by creating this kind of secure private endpoint it supports file uploads and different types of encodings so it's very useful if you're trying to debug or just reverse engineer requests to see how it ticks so you can point your application uh, to this and send do a web request across to it and you'll can see on the other end on the hookbin end what's actually coming across and what you can actually do with it Pretty useful if you need that kind of debugging utility. Next up, there is a great article on um, uh, maxsnister.com. Uh, and what it is, it, it was on improving web forms and ways to do so. A lot of it is common sense, but it also has a lot of very common mistakes that all of us have made. So it's a good roundup of best practice techniques and things you should be aware of. You know, I, I need to certainly revisit some of my forms to see if I can improve on any, which I'm sure I can. That's kind of the name of the game is ever improving, uh, but definitely worth checking out. Uh, pretty nice little concise way to round up a lot of those tips that most of us realize, but helps to have in front. On Specky Boy, uh, that blog, there was a pretty cool roundup of some list and informational display techniques using CSS and JavaScript that can kind of be used for infographics or just unique informational displays on the site. I was personally looking around for this for a project I'm working on, so it was uh, serendipitous that this came up. Uh, but check it out, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's got some unique tools and ways to uh, display that, and I'm sure you can find something of use in there. So on Twitter, uh, Tommy Hodgins, uh, listed a series of CSS techniques that were pretty useful when paired with a JavaScript function that kind of extended what you could do with CSS. And what's neat, kind of neat, because I hadn't heard of this, is that he uses a plugin called Decaf. 
D-E-Q-A-F, which allows you to parse some extended CSS in the browser and separate out those styles. Most of the techniques that he lists here use that to some extent, but it really does show some of the very useful and powerful ways you can extend this. Tom's a designer developer out of Toronto who's done a lot of CSS work over the years and really has been kind of a leader in the industry. And there's been a lot of pretty cool stuff he's created. So it's pretty neat to uh, check it out. It's, I, I believe, in a Twitter stories or Twitter thread. I'm not totally up on all the styles of that thing, but it was a pretty cool list of techniques and different things you can do with it. The Filament Group had a uh, updated look at styling a select field in a form across kind of the current version of browsers. So this is an issue that's always been somewhat of a challenge over the years. And every time a new browser version or type is released, it can really add new quirks to account for. There is something to be said to not attempting to make them look all the same or restyle and use browser defaults. But that doesn't always fit in a design or is all that nice looking. So this is a good uh, kind of update look to see just what you can do, what makes sense, and kind of see the differences and what's acceptable or to you and what's not, depending on what your design truly needs. On another blog, there's this really awesome technique where you can add before and after pseudo elements to an image, and it will only apply if the image fails to load. Therefore, you could do some basic styling content display, such as a message of, this is a broken image. But this technique doesn't always work in all browsers, though. So, there's this great article on handling broken images with service workers. And what it will do is detect if the fetch request fails and display an actual placeholder image instead. And it works offline as well, provided you have at least successfully connected once to retrieve the placeholder asset. Uh, but pretty cool. Uh, it's a really unique way to kind of combine a couple more advanced techniques and make a better overall experience for the uh, customer, which or the visitor, which really, you know, even if something doesn't load, at least you can do something to help convey that and do something a bit more pleasant than the traditional broken image link. And finally, here's a site that allows you to upload an image and it will automatically remove the background and keep the people in the image. It's called remove.bg as a site. And it's optimized for people and uses its combination of machine learning, other techniques, but it's pretty amazing and works very well for what it does. So if you have a quick need for that kind of thing, check it out. You never know, it might get you some good results. Uh, certainly a quick and easy one to then, instead of going into Photoshop and manually trying to remove something out of the back of an image, and at least this could get you part of the way there, so a bit less work. But check it out. It's a pretty neat tool. So I wanted to end there. Uh, that has been a good roundup of the tools, a couple things I found. Um, I look forward to the new year. I'm still trying to figure out exactly where I want to take this podcast from this point forward. Uh, I've been enjoying doing it, and I want to keep doing it, but I want to see if there's some other things and other content that would be more useful for folks or in a different sort of way that I can present it that would be uh, of interest. So I'm always open to ideas, but I'm going to kind of explore that. So if a couple episodes over time change, that might be why, uh, but that's the idea. So ultimately, I want to end there. So follow this podcast on Twitter 
at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.